Hi, and welcome to Work Your Energy podcast. This is Ruth Elizabeth Hancock, and this week we have uh, an amazing guest. I'm so excited to talk to her. This is Margaret O'Connor, who's going to be talking to us today about the hidden stories of women in the Catholic Church. So we're just going to dive straight in to our organic discussion. I don't have any questions or anything prepared, but it's just such a fascinating subject. So let's just pick up where we left off. So you were talking about how people or women need uh, deserve to to know, um, you know, the 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 stories, the background. So so let's start there. So what what are the hidden stories uh, of women in the Catholic Church? If that's not too huge a subject to start with. Oh no, that that's terrific. Um, first of all, this is the truth. This is not from the Bible, but from biblical research, because a lot of times I'm asked, well, where is this, you know, in the Bible? And who is this lady? She's making up these preposterous stories. And it's wonderful to think that there not only were women priests, bishops, and deacons, but the most famous woman priest was Mother Mary of God, Jesus's own mother, was a woman priest, and she was called Mary Priest. Her title, now when you hear this title, it's so ironic considering unfortunately what is going on in the Catholic Church. Her title was the model for all priesthood in the Catholic Church. And I want to let the listeners know I grew up in the Catholic Church. I happen to come from an Irish Catholic family. And from the time I was little, um, I began to notice there was there was really a difference between, you know, the boys and the girls. And in fact, my mom bought a cardboard replica of a church altar. And for Paul's birthday, he played the part of the priest. And then my twin sister, Pat, and myself, we grabbed two chairs and we sat down in the parlor in front of this replica altar. And you know, everything was going along all right. And I remember at some point, I, I stood up, Paul, I want to be the priest. And boy, did I ever learn that there was a difference. Because uh, he let us both know that uh, you have to be a man. <laughs> Only men can do this. So ever since that point, when I was little, I, I really um, took notice of things. And then um I would see uh, women uh, from other denominations that did have a collar on. And it really, you know, in your mind, you start thinking what is going on. And, and through the years, I would, I call them like rumors. And at a certain point in my life, I thought my curiosity, it really took hold. And that's when I did research and I read book after book. And finally, I came across these books that included biblical research. And that's where you really, uh, if you will, find the skeletons within the Catholic Church. And they're wonderful. Um, I, as a lady, just get so excited to think of how great a model having Mary, Mother of God, as a woman priest for any young girl growing up in our church. And Elizabeth, this was fascinating. Uh, back in 1903, there was a Pope Leo XIII. 
and he was allowed to hang on the wall a painting of Mary Priest. Okay, that was uh, 1903. 1913, well, we can see things are changing. You no longer can have a portrait of Mary hanging. And in that portrait, she was wearing priestly uh, attire, you know, priestly clothes. Also, what happened was, and I thought this was fascinating, 2,000 years of church history. Let's jump ahead to 1926, 1927. Why was it that the Catholic Church hierarchy decided we're going to take this title away from Mary? Yeah, why? And um, there was a Catholic priest, John Vingegaards, who's written an excellent book, The Ordination of Woman in the Catholic Church. And he wondered also, and basically, is this a coincidence or not, in those same years, you had women from other church denominations that began to speak out that they themselves wanted to be woman priests. So I'm just surmising, but let's face it, if this history is buried, it's not talked about, it's not going to be an issue. But seriously, I thought this was really underhanded. And they had a small article ran in uh, Rome uh, discussing this. And there was some priest official that was basically uh, praising the newspaper man that ran this article. And he started talking and he was saying, isn't it right that we uh, handle this question in, in, in this way? And basically it was such a question that the um, regular laity wouldn't understand. Well, yes, we wouldn't understand if you're taking Mary's title, but who are they not only to take her title away, but then referring to Mary as some type of an object, a question? And my mom and the grandmother were alive. And of course, they never heard uh, any of this information or did, you know, uh, other women in the United States or um, over in Europe, uh, Australia, Ireland, you name it. And that's why what I'm basically trying to do is in a sense, it's like a grassroots effort now is getting the word out. And if you're listening, as a woman and you're getting excited, uh, or you may be having uh, questions, it's important to discuss this with other family members, relatives, friends, because to me, this is just, when I found that in John Vingard's book, that Mary Mother of God was a priest, I threw the book out in the air. I got so excited. Then of course I had to pick it up and I had to look at it and um, I had to refocus. Did I just read or see what I thought I saw? Mm. And yet, if you, we took a survey today, there are so many Catholics that have never heard this. No, and but why have they hidden it then? Why was it taken out? Why was it allowed in 1903, but by 1913, it was not, not allowed in anymore? What changed during that period? Well, well, that's what I, I wonder too. There, there, for some reason, um, uh, again, I don't know if there's a, this intimidation that they, they didn't want women to ever, you know, learn of this 
th this past uh, history? They didn't want women in the church, maybe. They wanted women to stay at home and look after the babies or something, or I don't know. I mean, I don't really understand why, why it would have changed then and, and what they would have had against it. Yes, um, I wonder too, because I could sort of answer it back in 26 and 27 when they, as Jan Vingard said, that women were actually vocally speaking out. But when you skip back to 1903, um, I didn't see anything in particular, but that's an excellent question. We know something was there. <laughs> well, the only thing that would have happened at that time is I suppose, you know, that was working towards World War I. Um, you know, and when you look at the, the powers behind World War I, World War II, and, you know, you look at how Europe's changing, maybe I, I think these, these periods are the times when they started to, if you like, hijack the consciousness of people and start to sort of funnel people into a certain way of thinking and funnel them in, you know, to, to fear, for example, you know, and to, you know, to control and to start looking at how can we, you know, lead people into war? How can we control people? And I think if they wanted to extract women at that point from their, you know, their place within the Catholic Church and maybe move them out into a, a different area, make it more um, male dominated. I'm not too sure why then, but that's the only thing I can think of that would be happening during that time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and I know the wars were very much around um, controlling the masses, you know, putting fear into the masses and, um, you know, and obviously making huge amounts of money, you know, and mass genocide. I mean, it was it was a time of huge control, I think. And that, as you said, that, that time during the war, that even illustrated again what a woman's role was. She uh, would never have been thought to be able to go over and serve let alone what eventually happened was, you know, the woman ended up in the factories uh, in the United States, the Rosie the Riveter, and they were the ones that were uh, assembling uh, the warplanes, you know, different materials. Yes. And isn't that ironic? And yet they were able to do that during the war, but then right after the war, then it was like, well, let's go back, you know, not that it ever went back completely, but still there was that reticence. Yes, which just goes to show that, um, you know, they, the society already knew that women were perfectly capable enough to go into factories and take over the place of men when it suited them. But, you know, as soon as the, the war was over, then women you know, were put back into the, the, the home again, because that's what suited them. So already you can see this sort of, you know, societal conditioning, societal programming, you know, which direction do we want society to go into? Okay, well, then we're going to push them into that direction. But I still can't see how this would be affected by having women in the church. And, and all I can think of is this sort of hierarchical um, institution, you know, which you see in the in you know, sort of back in academia, you know, and probably in the church as well, that sort of that hierarchical way of looking at things. Um, working in that hierarchical state, you know, and maybe women coming into that hierarchical uh, state doesn't serve their greater purpose or something, or, you know, what it is they're trying to um, engineer from the Catholic Church. Well, I always wondered, how did women, we as women, anyway, within the Catholic faith, 
end up that we are so um, we're looked down in in such a way that there you know there's it we're all baptized the same way we receive the same prayers the same blessings we receive communion we receive uh, confirmation and yet there's like a dividing line there because we as women can't take that extra step if we receive a call from God, you know, to become a woman priest. But I always wondered, where, where did that stem back from? And uh, when you look way back in the history, um, John Vingegaard said, obviously Rome, they had the power, they had the money, the armies. They were the ones that really started the law system over there. And that civil law system basically looked down at women, uh, not only very demeaning, but they were just basically nothing. But here was the kicker. He said the Catholic Church theologians um, over in Italy, they um, began to take from that civil Roman law and shape that law into their church law. So if you have these theologians that are living over in a society where the thoughts against women are demeaning, are very prejudiced, then how can you ever take that same law and form that into actual church law? So right from the get-go, you, you can sort of understand uh, where they would see women uh, as uh, being um, unequal, that women were sinful. And women at that time of the month, um, they, they had very strange ideas. They were just horrified by uh, a woman's condition at that time of the month. And as well, they were horrified that Jesus had to come through the birth canal of his mother to, to come out. And I thought these men, well, how did they come out? It must've been a miracle that, you know, that, that there was no problem, but seriously, you look back to that uh, twisted, uh, deranged thoughts. You had uh, these canon lawyers that thought if a woman's blood was out uh, and a dog came upon that, that dog would go wild. If you were in your house and for some reason that blood got anywhere near silverware or a mirror, everything would like diminish or, or turn, your crops would wither. If there was like a big electrical storm out and it hit that blood, the storm would go away. Now I know this is just lunacy, where you know, maybe back in the dark ages we can we can laugh about all of this. And then it even went on into the Middle Ages that the problem wasn't men, the problem was women. They were, they were warning the priest when they tried to change, to enact the celibacy. Obviously the, the hierarchy didn't want a man to have a wife to come into any money. So if he was celibate, you know, and there wasn't married, well then that, that saves the money for the church. But back at that time, they were calling women every name, she-wolves, night owls, sows, bitches. I mean, you name it. They were everything and anything. Okay, now let's go further. And again, I'm trying to uh, impart this thought 
of how twisted their thinking was that this wasn't biblical. This is basically immense cultural uh, prejudice at work here. St. Thomas Aquinas, uh, one of the big things is the church says biblically, one of the reasons why uh, we can't be, if we're in our faith, a Catholic faith, we can't be woman priest is, is because God, we weren't made in the image of God. And St. Thomas Aquinas said, well, yes, women were made in the image of God to the extent that they too have a mind. But then he went on in so many words and said that God only commended men, not women, to use this intellectual property. I mean, you get you get where I'm coming from. Again, it's more absurdity. And yes. we're not going to laugh about this now because these five biblical points, whether it's women weren't created in the image of God, women can't teach. There was actually a civil war, uh, civil war, <laughs> civil law back then that women had a condition. And this condition was more prevalent than men. And that due to their feeble-mindedness and their awful emotional instability, oh, we can't have these women out there teaching in the public. Again, this has nothing to do with uh, biblical reason. It's cultural prejudice. They also went back, Elizabeth, to, um, uh, to Eve, the sin of Eve. Well, now, if women are seen to have this sin, uh, they're not the most stellar candidates for the priesthood. But miraculously within the church, there were perfect candidates, and they were the men. And then we've all heard how Jesus specifically chose the 12 male apostles. Now, he chose those 12 male apostles to like represent the 12 patriarchal tribes of old. But yet you had theologians uh, uh, going ahead centuries that took that nugget and then they're imparting what they believe Jesus meant at that time of only choosing 12 men, no woman anywhere. But you look at the society when Jesus was alive then in ancient Israel. It was really purely patristic. And Jesus was operating out of a culture, uh, this, you know, he could only do so much. And then finally, because uh, Jesus was a man, we have, a, have to have a man up on the altar. And again, this, every single one of these uh, reasons is cultural prejudice. So my question is why hasn't the hierarchy come out and made some type of a pronouncement saying, look, we're sorry, but these um, five reasons are not uh, biblical at all. They're purely cultural prejudice yeah. in nature. Yeah, because, because it's, it's feeding into something bigger. Now, my understanding is, is that the, um, first of all, we'd be living in a, a patriarchal society for 2000 years. And this was very much driven by the Romans. So it was the Romans in the fourth century who, who sort of like took hold of the Bible, if you like, and changed it around. Um, and then we're left with, the, with these biblical accounts, you know, and there's the Old Testament, the New Testament. 
The Old Testament, I don't think, is talking about God. I think the Old Testament is talking about something very different, and it's not talking about, you know, God as we understand it. The, the, the New Testament, I think, was, in a sense, put together as a more sort of... Um, like a, a way a way to drive Christianity across the world. And if you like, again, hijack the consciousness of people to create some sort of, you know, like conditioning and, and, and worldview to be able to push the, 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 the world into a certain way of thinking and being. And, um, and I think that this was, that, that this was a, a political act. This is not a, a biblical thing. And I don't think that God is the same as religion. For me, I don't think that they're the same. And when you look at the Old Testament, they're obviously not talking about God. You know, the things that God does in the Old Testament, no God would do that to people. I mean, you know, the stories of what God is doing to people, it, it's just absolutely insane. So we know that this is not God they're talking about. They're talking about something different. And then the New Testament it has been put together by the Romans, you know, to, to drive forward some sort of political agenda. And part of that political agenda was to cut out the women. It was to take out the, the, the females because historically we can see that actually females played a huge part in, um, you know, the, the pre-Christianity, which is the, the, the pagans and the Gnostics, which actually led into Christianity, you know, and, and that's why, you know, the Romans then sort of went about, if you like, genociding pagans and Gnostics and creating Christianity as this sort of world order that, you know, everyone should now sort of buy into Christianity. But Christianity is just, a, it's cobbled together from paganism and, and Gnosticism. But so, so it, was, it was a politically engineered thing that the Romans did uh, and you know, and they, they they were very successful they pushed it out around the world you know and you you look um I'm sure they had a lot of incentives you know to 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 get people to buy into Christianity and you you know you can see a lot of money changed hands over it as well and um you the thing that is very very clear is that women have always played a massive role within the the gnostics the pagans the essenes and even you know even with the the disciples of jesus you know mary magdalene was a huge part of that and we're we're, we're understanding this now and um you know and mother mary as well they were huge parts of this and i think this is now coming out into the open people are understanding that the bible was never biblical it was political agenda and the political agenda had all sorts of ideologically behind it, but it sort of had nothing to do with God. Well, getting back to about the woman, I, I, uh, Ida Ram, Raman is her name and, and she did biblical research and she came across the concept of apostleship. And getting back again, we all unfortunately hear the one story of Jesus sending out 12 men, period. So then when you get into biblical research, they found out that this um, Junia wasn't a man for centuries. They kept saying he was a male apostle. He was actually, this was actually a female apostle. And when they start finding these new names of female apostles and you put it together with this concept of apostleship 
Okay, what did that mean? That meant who is an apostle? An apostle is anyone that was sent out divinely by the risen one or by a particular community. So then that gives credence that you have all these different uh, female apostles aside from Mary Magdala. I think that's really exciting too, because again, yeah. it's getting back to the very truth of this issue. And on those same roads where uh, Jesus and the other apostles were, you had, you know, women as well. Yeah, because for, from, from the way I look at it is it's, it's all very tied in with spirituality and it's all about spiritual awakening and, you know, and connecting back into our inner world. And in and and actual fact, women have always been very good at doing this. Women are highly intuitive and have always been a lot more connected to, um, if you like, the you know, higher intelligence, the higher realms, you know, whatever you want to sort of call it. Right. We've, we've always had that connection. And I suspect that this is probably why we were cut out of it, because they didn't want women to have this higher connection. You know, if you, if you look at the histories, women were used as oracles in the past. Um, you know, they, they were, there was very much a, a priestess um, sort of uh, thing going on, you know, in, in um, again, this is sort of the, the old, old religions, but I, I think the old religions have fed into the new religions, in today's religions. And I think women, you know, in, in certain cultures, women have always been the, the main, the main leaders of those culture. And I think it's because women have these amazing feminine qualities of leadership. You know, women are very, very, they make very good leaders because they don't have the ego and, you know, and pushing their own agenda forward. They're always thinking about the tribe and the culture, you know, and of course the families. Right. And I think, you know, when the patriarchal society came along, they didn't want that because of course, you know, they wanted to make something from it they wanted to make money from it they wanted to make hierarchies out of it they wanted to you know put their egos into it or you know benefit sing um, singularly in, in some way and women don't do that so I, I think that this is you know this patriarchal society sort of took it away from women so that we wouldn't have those feminine qualities and it would become male dominated so the men could use it for their own means and they have used it for their own means you know you look at the patriarchal society over the past few hundred years and you can see the mess that we're in today you know with the the ego domination of the world and, and of course one of the big things that people are talking about is that you know that we need these fem feminine qualities back in society not just the church but back in society yeah we so need we some sort of balance yeah, we do. And funnily enough, I work with a lot of uh, men who have just as feminine qualities as women. So it's not a man woman thing. It, it's like an ego heart thing, in a sense, you know, I'll tell you, um, they're thinking, I mean, you know, from the time you go back and into where we are today, but I, I wanted to bring out one really uh, important point that a lot of people don't realize is that Back in 1976, the Pope has his own commission. Uh, it's called the Pontifical Biblical Commission. And they looked into this very study of woman being priest in our church. And they definitively came out and said there is absolutely no biblical reason to prevent woman being ordained. Well, hello, 1976. And here we are today on this talk show podcast, 
and we're, you know, bringing up, uh, we have so many uh, wonderful uh, organizations that unfortunately the Catholic church doesn't allow like uh, most churches to put like information in the back for the laity to see. There's future church, there's call to action, there's woman's ordination and there's woman Catholic priest. And, and people are probably thinking, what is she talking about? Back in the Danube River in 2002, there was a very open-minded uh, bishop. And this, had a, this was done on a boat because this, I mean, really had to be secretive because obviously this bishop would no longer be a bishop if you know they found out who this party was. But there were women there that wanted to be either woman priest or woman bishops. So he ordained them as both. But the most important thing is we've heard of apostolic succession going all the way back to Peter. And now since this a bona fide bishop has actually ordained women as bishops, they as well now can ordain other women as priests or bishops and, you know, to keep this going, but it really would give you like a flavor, a color of what it would be like. Um, these women have to basically, they rent out space, like maybe in a, a church, uh, the other denominations, of course, any other denomination have been very open-minded, you know, to allow this. But, um, and especially today, when you think of the pre-shortage, mm. hello, where are we? The Catholic Church knew back in the 70s, they did studies because they could see that the people, the men going into the priesthood was starting to take a turn way back then. So what did they do? Nothing. They went through the 80s, nothing. The 90s, nothing. 2000, finally, they came up with, of all things, they came up with a communion service. In other words, with the shortage of priests everywhere, you, you can't attend a regular, what was called the mass is now the liturgy of the Eucharist. So it's basically, you would have like a deacon, uh, a lay person, and they would be able to distribute communion and say, uh, do some readings, say some prayers. But I mean, there's just no excuse for this. They knew that the shortage was there and they did nothing. And now it, it's, it's so reticent because the number of priests, it, it's basically hemorrhaging at this point. Why do and, you think that is? Um, well, way back, like in the 60s, things started to change. A lot of the younger priests thought with Vatican II that the church was going to change that rule that men could uh, be married. And a lot of them um, were just really hit hard by that. I even had a neighbor, too, and he left, you know, because of that. But that's how that all started. And then today, unfortunately, with the awful priest sexual abuse issue, this has just literally torn the church apart. And you, you can't blame. And again, this is not every single priest. But unfortunately, there's enough of the other that have just really disseminated. It's, it's like a cancer. And you have bishops as well. And they could see what was going on and they're enablers. They just basically looked the other way. Let's move this person here. Let's move that person there. And yet 
uh, some of the, uh, not all of the older, but some of the older Catholics and unfortunately do not like uh, people like myself going out and picketing. But my God, if I had a children, I, I would appreciate if a fellow Catholic would get out there and, and try to, um, let's bring this, let's hear from the higher, the laity. And that's the problem, I think, today, even with the woman's ordination issue, until this hierarchy is held accountable, how are they going to be held accountable? It's going to take the average, everyday laity person to speak out. Can you imagine yeah. today if everyone would send Rome a postcard asking the Pope, you're not your commission because he wasn't Pope then, but the Pontifical Biblical Commission said, there's no reason why women can't be ordained. Well, then why isn't this happening? I mean, it would take something that easy to get yeah. their attention. Well, because it's a men's club, you know, it's a man's club. And I, I you know, in, in terms of the, the pedophile priest, I, I think one of the biggest questions that people ask themselves around this is how can a pedophile be a messenger of God? How can a pedophile be connected to God, you know, because surely when, when one connects to God, you, you hear loving, you know, loving voices, you know, you hear, you know, you hear those sort of, you have that high vibrational energy, that unconditional love in your body, you know, you wouldn't have those thoughts coming into your mind. So the fact that they do have those thoughts coming into their mind, and actually, I think a lot of that is from the Bible, I sort of feel that, you know, people reading these probably would have a very skewed understanding because they would start to believe what they're reading. And they would have a very, like the, the reality that they're living in would become very skewed and they wouldn't really be seeing things as they really are, you know? And the fact that they then go and abuse children. I mean, these, these priests are not connected to God. They are connected to something else, definitely, but it's not God. You know, so so the, the Catholic Church has got nothing to do with God, nothing at all. I don't I don't know what man's club they've got going on there, but it's got nothing to do with God at all. Well, especially like, as you say, the offending priest and as well, the bishops are just as guilty because they're the ones that were moving them everywhere. You know, move them all like, say, in Buffalo, move them out to Orchard Park, move them out to West Seneca, move them to East Aurora. It got so bad that our seminary in East Aurora, New York is closed. Now, I mean, what, what does that tell you? But this is the problem until not only the offending priest, but the bishops, cardinals that knew what was happening and did nothing until these people are arrested. Because what's happening is, it was known back in the 70s, a policeman said, look at if we arrest uh, a priest at nighttime in a particular park that you, you, you can imagine what, you know, they were known for doing, um, we bring them into the police station. Well, are they booked? Do they, they take their fingerprints? Uh, do they take a booking picture? No. They call the chancery and they have a priest come and pick up this offending priest. Well, it's like a revolving door. And the bishops are the ones that have to make a decision. Is this, is this a sin what this person has done? Well, I, I'm sorry, Elizabeth, if someone yes. is raping children, 
as someone yes. is molesting teenagers or even going into adulthood. I mean, this is but the thing is, yeah, it's a crime. Of you course, but the say, thing is, the thing is, is that messengers of God would know that this is a sin. So the fact that they're doing it means that they are not connected to God. They are not. And they, they answer to God. So at the end of the day, when they look in the mirror, they have to answer to God. You know, how, how, how do they look themselves in the mirror and know that they have done the right thing that day? You see, there's, there's nothing high vibrational about this. There's nothing, there's nothing loving and caring and nurturing about this. You know, these people are not connected to God. They are, they are connected to something very, very much more low vibrational. Than, than source energy. There's no doubt about that. Well, I, I personally don't know how they how they can do that because obviously they don't really believe in God because they would be afraid, you know, the, the final judgment. Um, and aside from that, just the depravity of, of doing what they do to, to any other uh, individual is, I mean, it's sickening. You got yeah, you know, the but, lowest but of the low. But this is why the Catholic Church and the religions are on their way out. You know, they know this. I don't know why they're, why they're not like trying to modernize in some way. But, you know, at the moment, they're relying on the old man's network, you know, the, 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 the hierarchical network that they've got. And they've got their fingers in a lot of very expensive pies. There's no doubt about it. They have a lot, a lot, a lot of networks and contacts, you know, and at the moment they're hanging on to that. But um, at some point, you know, that will run out as well. But and you know, I it, think that the breaking point definitely will be the shortage of priests. And then I think there will be Catholics, like there, there was a, a regular Catholic priest in Rochester and he, he believed more like Jesus. He just didn't like this big Catholic like business structure. And basically uh, he left his own, he, and he had it made, he was like in a rich parish he uh, left that and, and started like at another church within the city. And it's just, he brought thousands from his parish, a regular Catholic parish over, you know, now to his parish. And it, they really got involved and they had like a soup kitchen and they were doing all this good stuff. But I mean, when you think in the future, um, not that some of that stuff isn't being done because there are like our parish you know, was that way. Uh, but then, of course, the priests, uh, different priests come in and things change. But there is going to be a point. Uh, and we're talking um, 10 years ahead that there's going to be such a, a shortage of priests that then and hopefully with Pope Francis, he wants to get back to the basics of Vatican II. What was Vatican II? Vatican II changed the mass. It's the closest mass going back to the earliest centuries, how the beginning Christians celebrated the mass. They faced the people. They talked, obviously, in their own language. And, and more important than that, there wasn't all of this. Um, in the Middle Ages, there was like a high Christology and it, it definitely it got away from Jesus. And it was more that it started to be the, the priest, the bishop, and that even talking, like when they would perform the prayers, it, it wasn't we, it was us. 
And then they started having all these uh, separate altars on the side altars of the church. Well, if you're an average laity, it got to the point that that mass wasn't about breaking the bread and sharing that with the average person. It was about like almost worship to a deity. It just took everything. It just completely turned it around. And things got so bad that at one of the uh, councils, they had to actually uh, enact a law that you had to go to church uh, to receive communion at least once a year because people, um, it got to a point that they were afraid, you know, to, to go to communion. And then the high point was seeing the host elevated. So, I mean, it, it's unfortunate, but when you look, you know, down through the centuries, and again, unfortunately, it's like anything, it starts out small, and then it takes on, it gets so big, it takes on a whole life of itself, you know, away from like, uh, the average person. But I really think this is going to be an opening as the uh, number of um, priests as that really goes down, there's going to be an opening because there's so many Catholics that are hungering for um, something which is real. Um, something that, that you really feel spiritual about it. And you, you don't have um, men that are in positions, whether it's the bishop or priest that you know they've done wrong and they just, they, they shouldn't be anywhere near the altar. No, they shouldn't. But, you know, maybe we've actually grown out of needing priests and bishops and even the church. Maybe we don't need that in our future. You know, as we change into a more feminine um, sort of energy and as the, you know, the, the world is sort of evolving, you know, moving more towards females, maybe, you know, we don't need that sort of worshipping because we are all connected to source energy or God all the time. It is, you know, it is a continuous connection that we all have. We don't need other people to, to connect us to that, you know, to that inner, that inner self, that mm -hmm. inner being, that inner, that inner energy, which of course is spirituality. And in, in the past, yes, we did, but now we don't. So we, we can connect to source energy whenever we want to and through meditation. And um, I don't think that we need to go and sit in a big, uh, you know, building and, and pray in, in that way anymore, because actually what we're understanding and what I talk about in my new book is that prayer is actually a brainwave state. And it, again, has nothing to do with religion or the church. So we, when we access the, the, the brainwave state of prayer, which is the gamma brainwave, we move into that altered state of being. And then at that point, we have um, a connection to source energy or, you know, or God or consciousness, whatever, whatever people are calling it today. So we no longer need to have a facilitator. Now, the priests and the bishops were facilitators, but we don't need a facilitator anymore. And in a sense, they're actually taking people away from God because they're saying, you know, you need to come into a house of God to worship God, but no, God doesn't want to be worshipped. He doesn't want to be a guru. He he is a, he is an energy source, and we have that energy source living within us. So I I honestly think that the church and religion, they they are not they are not going to move with us into the future. They will be dying out, and uh, I think they know that as well. And you know, and I think what we're now moving into now is people understanding that they 
you know, that they don't need other people to, to make them, you know, to, 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 to worship anything. You know, there is no worship. There, 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 is none, there is none of this stuff. You know, there is no taking the bread or drinking the blood. You know, why would anyone want to drink Jesus's blood in the first place or eat his flesh? I mean, just even that is macabre in itself. You know, these are very, very old ways of, of looking at things. And they, there just isn't place for that now in this new world that we're moving into. And, um, you know, so for, for, for me, I, I see the church and religion as very outdated and we've moved beyond that. However, we do need communities. We need communities of people. We need people to be working together. We know we need people to be celebrating life but not celebrating God or Jesus or the Bible or church or priests or anything like that, just celebrating life, you know, and moving into a better reality, a better world for all of us, where we don't need people with long dresses, you know, dripping in gold off their fingers when there's poor people all around everywhere. We don't need all of that. No, we're not living in that world anymore. Uh, one of the things that they found out back in the uh, Council of Chalcedon in the fifth century. And I thought it was pretty neat. It was the local community that picked like a candidate. So like at your local parish level, you know, if someone wanted to be a priest or a bishop. And at that time, if any bishop interfered, then that whole uh, ordination was null and void with the bishop um, interfering. But um, I just wanted to get back to the one point about the communion. Uh, I've been a lifelong uh, Catholic. And that's the one thing with the communion. It's so personal because it isn't like I know you see like a, the host is the bread and obviously the, the cup, the wine is his blood. But that's not, it's like a symbol in the sense that you can see it. But we really believe that is Jesus's real presence and it, it really makes um, uh, receiving the Eucharist so special. But so you can like, still have that, yeah, but you have that connection to Jesus. You know, that's the thing. And I, I understand we've had 2,000 years of going into a church, you know, to have that connection. But you can have that connection sitting in your own home. You can have that connection anywhere because it's an altered brainwave state. And that allows you to connect to source energy, you know, to Jesus consciousness, you know, to Buddha consciousness, whatever it may be, we can connect to that whenever we want to. And when we connect, we actually receive, you know, lo loving words, loving words of guidance and support and help and, you know, and, and all the help and support that we need to be able to live in this, you know, in this world that, that, we, that we're living in. Yeah, and, and that's what makes it so special when you can do it anywhere. Yeah, exactly. We don't need churches to do that, but we do still need communities. I absolutely agree with you. We do still need communities. We are a social species. We need to gather together, but we don't need priests and bishops to tell us where we can do that or who we can do that with. Even Jesus didn't want to be a guru. He was trying to empower people to take responsibility of their own life. You know, to, he was trying to empower people to connect back to your inner self connect to, to, to source energy, to God consciousness. You know, you, you are connected all the time. He was trying to teach people this. And of course, this didn't go down very well, you know, with, with, the, with, with the Romans, because they, the Romans wanted people dependent on them because they were extracting a huge amount of money and control from them. And Jesus was trying to say, no, you don't need to be, you know, 
part of that. You don't, you don't need to belong to that. You, you have everything you need inside you. And that's what he was teaching people. It was so simplistic, but I mean, it was just so right on. Yeah. And he didn't want to be a guru. He didn't, he didn't believe in gurus. And yet look at, you know, look at what religion has created in today's world. I mean, God, every religious leader is trying to be a guru. They just want to be, you know, this famous guru because it's ego based. It's ego dominated. Jesus was not ego. He was about, you know, helping people, healing people, um, you know, getting people together in communities None of these religious leaders do that. For them, it's all about money and how much money they can make from the people in their, in, you know, in their flock or whatever it is they call them. And I, I really think, you know, why do we want, I don't think anyone should be part of a flock. You know, I think we should get back to what Jesus was teaching, which is be yourself, be your own independent self and connect to God consciousness because you are already connected. And as you say, sim simple, simple, simple. And, and, and if more of us lived our lives in that way, our world would change so fast. It really would. But why, um, I, you know, I was thinking, why are women so afraid? Uh, some women are really intimidated with the thought um, of having other women up on the altar. And I know it would it would seem maybe strange or yes, it would be different. But if this was a history that was there until the men decided and um, what they did I, basically was that the, they decided that women could not be up on the altar. So that really just completely closed their, their ministry, you know? Yeah. But I think to a certain extent, it's all been engineered and, you know, this sort of conditioned programming and I think women have been taught to compete against each other. You know, in fact, we've all been taught to compete against each other. We're living in a very, very competitive world where, you know, the ego dominates. And, you know, women you know, possibly, you know, don't, don't see each other in that way. I, I don't know. But, you know, but personally, I'd much rather have a, a female priest or, um, you know, bishop or any of those things because I... I think that the feminine qualities that they bring into whatever community they, they, they come into, I think, you know, they, they're, they're much more caring about the community, that it's less about them and their ego and much more about the community and how they can get the spirit of the community going. And I don't think men are very good at that. Well, some men obviously are, you know, but probably right. not the Catholic <laughs> church. <laughs> In the Catholic church, I mean, it, it really is sad because, I mean, how, how could they, excuse me, screw up something which is, could be so beautiful and so wonderful? Because their ego took over and the ego is a piece of software in, in the mind. And I think, you know, because it's a piece of software in the mind, I think it can be hijacked. It can be hacked into and it can be hacked into by, you know, this collective consciousness of ego domination, of greed you know, of sort of looking around at, you know, how, how and who and where they can make more money from these sorts of things. And I think this, this filtered through from the Romans and, you know, and now sort of, in a sense, I, I talk about this in my podcast, that the ego has gone mad for, for, for many people. It's been hacked into and I think hijacked, you know, and I think that person you know, is not able to connect back to their heart anymore. It's, it's all about greed and power and, you know, and world domination. And they're not even thinking about 
communities or any of those sorts of things. They're just thinking about where they're going to make their next, you know, power trip from. Uh, it is like um, an iron wall because there's so many times, whether I'm like uh, picketing for women's ordination or against uh, pre-sexual abuse. And um, this will be the first time, uh, particularly with the um, woman ordination, that they'll see like a woman out there and they just, they, uh, so many, unfortunately, they go ballistic. <laughs> you know, they, I'm, I'm being uh, kind, I won't use their disparaging words, but you know, go over to that church a few blocks away and you're a heretic. And, and then one time it was awful. It, it was uh, for the men that were being uh, ordained and um, there were two of the priests that were black. And this one lady come along and gave us the bird because the only reason <laughs> we were there was because of these young, you know, black men. And they just totally um, distorted that. So, I mean, seriously, you just wonder at some time, but I just really, I, I'm just a regular everyday member of the Catholic Church, the laity. But what really does bother me is where are the other Catholics? Um, you know, we unfortunately had uh, saying pray, pay, and obey. And from the time of the 50s, this was even in the 20s, you know, centuries and centuries. And unfortunately, it made it very convenient for the hierarchy because if the laity, you knew you were never supposed to ask, you know, I know that's changing, but then you have all these people from generation and generation that never did. And I think you really sort of get into a certain complacency. And unfortunately, why aren't their voices? Why aren't they speaking out? Um, why are they afraid? I mean, it was like, I'm out there. Sometimes I'm the only one out there. <laughs> and it's like, I don't know if you see, if it's carried where you are, the Twilight Zone, hmm. this TV show, Rod Serling, a, a different dimension oh. of time and space. <laughs> and I'm saying to myself, you know, what did I get into? But um, I, I just want the listeners to know that this is such a wonderful truth. And please, by all means, spread it. And we do have to make the hierarchy accountable if anything is going to change. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Okay, we've been talking for an hour. I think I'm going to bring that to a close. This has been such a fascinating conversation. I can't even begin to tell you. Thank you so much. I've oh, really, really, really for enjoyed it. Allowing me because it is, it's a needed conversation. It is, it is, yeah. And I've really enjoyed talking to you. Really enjoy talking to you. Yeah. You. So I think you you've written a couple of books, haven't you? Uh, yes, I've written the one we were discussing today, Scandal in the Shadows, the original priest, Mother Mary. And yeah. I've written uh, another book, Journey of a Celiac Soul, A Second Chance at Life. Okay. And are these available on, uh, on Amazon? Uh, Amazon. Yeah. Okay. Amazon Fantastic. And my website is yourradicaltruth.com, yourradicaltruth.com. Okay, that's perfect. Are you on social media? Uh, yes, I am. And all that information is uh, available uh, at my website. Okay, I'll put the links in, in, in the show notes as well. So oh, everyone, everyone will have that there. It. And okay. I will definitely be writing a blog on the show. 
<laughs> yeah, that's amazing. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Oh, thank Speak you. you soon. Take okay. it easy. Yeah. Bye. Bye.